Hello and welcome back to Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I apologize for skipping a week. It was unavoidable. Uh, unlike the interview President Sir Ramaphosa gave to some reporters on Sunday, um, I could have avoided it, but I kind of didn't. Um, uh, I tried to listen uh, to the dreadful sound on my phone uh, for a while, so I picked up a little bit of it, but I ended up watching President Joe Biden being interviewed on CNN. Instead, it was clearer, um, and I certainly hope I'm as sharp as Biden is when I'm as old as he is. I heard enough of the Ramaphosa interview to know, however, that he was making excuses. You couldn't really hear the questions, so possibly to his misfortune, what remains are merely his answers. That's not always fair. When politicians say things, the news reports never tell you whether he or she said what they said unprompted or an answer to a question. And that can matter. People say things when they're answering questions to be polite or to give an answer. It might not be what they intended to bring to the press conference in the first place. I took a few broad things away from the Ramaphosa interview. First of all, he talked about how difficult his first term had been because of state capture, COVID, and the violence in KZN and Gauteng two years ago this week. And he wondered why the South African media coverage of his peace mission to Ukraine and Russia a few weeks ago had been so negative. The fact that the press contingent was stuck on a plane in Warsaw for three days might have had something to do with it. But he was perturbed that, uh, you know, the country wasn't lined up on the streets applauding his gallant uh, efforts uh, to create peace after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, along with some African colleagues. Reports later on um, uh, quoted Ramaphosa at the press conference saying that, quote, The period I became president is possibly the most challenging period that any president in the democratic era has ever faced. No other president has faced the challenges that not only I faced, but the whole country faced. Well, that's a bit of a whine, and no president would want his epitaph to read, It was all very difficult. And I suppose you can give Ramaphosa some credit where it is due. He has dealt with some very troublesome people and won. Remember Nom Kobo Jiba at the NPA? William Kieser, Jacob Zuma? He put him in jail. Sia Bongagama at Transnet. Lindiwe Sisulu. Claudi Motswaneng at the SABC. Ace Magashule and others. It's quite an array of political kills. But while he's been occupied removing his enemies, keeping his party at least nominally united at the same time, he's missed opportunity after opportunity to make better policy choices, to make people safer, less poor, less desperate. Policy in South African politics isn't sexy, I know that, but it matters. The DA and much of the opposition are stuck in the mud because they spend all their time attacking the ANC or each other, and none of it, or almost none of it, talking policy, making policy. If you're in the opposition, perhaps there's a good excuse as your policy ideas aren't always going to see the light of day. When you're the ANC president running an aircraft carrier-sized political majority, and your excuse for getting nothing done is because it was hard, you're not going to get taken all that seriously. Ramaphosa didn't need Raymond Zondo to tell him what state capture was. He saw what happened in real time. 
and while he might not have had the political clout to fight it as deputy president of party and state, it is just insane to even try to justify coming into office, which was always the plan, uh, without any idea of how to fight it. A reinstatement of the Scorpions, investigators working with the judiciary, would have cleaned the stables in no time. But not only did Ramaphosa make a real meal of it, and not only did he knowingly appoint people tainted by state corruption, including uh, Minerals and Energy Minister Guerra Mantasha, to his cabinet, when Judge Sondo completed his gigantic reports into state capture, Ramaphosa thanked him and has since then done almost nothing to see to it that Zondo's many recommendations are implemented or at least followed up. COVID is another classic can to kick down the road. Ramaphosa and leaders all around the world, I'm sure, do it all the time. And I admit, you know, we have to. Uh, the onset of the pandemic was a bit of a shock. We were all scared. But instead of leading from the front, Ramaphosa ran for cover, hiding behind a, I can't even remember what it was called now, a coronavirus coordination command council thing, consisting of so many politicians and officials. Uh, its ability to put together a plan was surely broken from the start. But Ramaphosa seriously thought he could use the crisis to effect a profound and transformative economic change in the country. In fact, what he did simply made a weakening economy even worse. Convincing himself he was saving lives, he put the country in the hands of Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, arguably the last person you'd want running your economy or your society, even in the best of times. She's so incapable. And when the scientists he put in charge, or she put in charge, of the crisis committee, uh, said that after we had first enjoyed a hard Tlaminizuma special lockdown, said that further lockdowns were pointless, Ramaphosa couldn't stop himself. He went on and on, locking down, destroying wealth, destroying jobs, destroying hope. He did so much damage to the economy on his own in the process we've still not recovered. We'll be lucky to grow half a percent this year. As for the riots two years ago, Ramaphosa didn't see them coming for much the same reason we have load shedding, high unemployment, no skills and no education. He appoints poorly equipped people to do difficult jobs and worse, encourages them to pursue manifestly absurd policies as long as they're happy. My favourite example is Trade, Industry and Competition Minister Ibrahim Patel. Ramaphosa thinks the world of him and he in turn flatters Ramaphosa to stay in his good books. It seems it's that easy. Patel, a trade unionist, was first appointed to the cabinet by Jacob Zuma back in 2009 as Minister of Economic Development. Ramaphosa combined that when he took office um, with trade and industry and, uh, as Patel now insisted, competition for the competition authorities report to him and he, amongst his many conceits, has tried to use and argue that it's actually working. Competition policy is an engine of growth. None of it really works. In one way or another, through good times and bad, Patel has run economic policy in South Africa now for approaching 15 years. The results are the industrial wreckage and lost jobs we see all around us. There are some bright spots, 
But what the ANC imagines is a policy of reindustrialization is anything but. I had to write this down, but under the ANC, industrial output peaked in 2011 at uh, $58.9 billion. That's roughly 12.9-13% of GDP. In 2021, we got to $49.3 billion, or 11.8% of GDP. COVID or no COVID, Patel's record in industrial policy, in attracting industrial uh, development, in creating black industrialists, is just pitiful. For all his careful planning, we're already behind in electric vehicles production, or even mere planning. We're behind in hydrogen, though you think with all the hoo-ha, we were in front. And geez, Toyota just announced it's developed a solid-state battery. You have no idea what that means, and it's an absolute revolution. And that if that's true, it just blows away all the liquid-filled batteries forever. No more exploding cars. And what happens to lithium? What happens to all the minerals Africa is supposed to be the center of the world of, in solid state? Toyota claims you can fully charge its battery in 10 minutes and drive 2,000 kilometers on it. Would Toyota consider South Africa, perhaps, as a production hub for solid-state batteries? I think we all know the answer to that. But like so many other failures in Cabinet, Ramaphosa sticks with them, and at press conferences, whines about how difficult it all is. Patel suffers from the same economic delusions Ramaphosa does, and Zuma before them. That is to say that it is possible to draw, on paper, the trillion things that need to go absolutely right to produce, market, sell at a profit, and reinvest a single bottle top. And to regulate and plan for it all. Oh yes. And let's not forget that the making of the bottle top has to take place through a glittering kaleidoscope of transformation and inclusivity, decent work, And with a mind always to knocking over the prime evils while you're about it, racism, sexism, poverty, inequality and unemployment. The ANC, and I'm afraid Ramaphosa epitomizes it, simply cannot prioritize. It doesn't know how. To choose in its collective mind is to discard. So instead it prioritizes everything and achieves absolutely nothing. And sadly, the opposition largely lets it get away with it. Even the post office has gone bust, along with the trains. Having got rid of Gama at Transnet, you would have thought Ramaphosa would find a tough and experienced CEO to get the rail ports and pipeline giant out of its hole. Instead, he hired a bureaucrat from the Mbeki days, Portia Darby, Alec Irwin's DG, when he was at Public Enterprise. She can't possibly, possibly be optimally equipped for the job. And it shows. Business has tried its best to be nice and helpful and correct, but the fact is Transnet is simply very badly managed. Exports are slow, business is in trouble, and Ramaphosa did it all. Perhaps, as the President told journalists questioning him on Sunday, uh, the reforms, I'm quoting him, the reforms that we have embarked on are in areas that should have been dealt with years ago and it has become my problem. Boo-hoo. Fortunately, as Stuart Theobald brilliantly wrote in Business Day this week, um, Ramaphosa's reforms are being taken out of his hands. Where Ramaphosa 
says, quote, I would say that in terms of dealing with issues, we are making progress to rebuild state capabilities. In fact, the very opposite is happening. Theobald writes that the collapse of the state under Ramaphosa, not because of him, but not without a touch of his negligence either. The ANC has simply run out of road. If it wants an airline, it is going to have to put the private sector in charge of it. The same will happen to the post office and possibly even the post bank as well. It will happen to Denel and eventually Transnet and ESCOM. Ramaphosa was there when the ANC had that all. Arguably the largest intact economic prize ever won anywhere in history by a liberation movement. And now it's all but gone. Well, that's it from me this week. It's such a privilege to be able to talk to you like this. Let's not forget we live in a real democracy and a free country and it's worth fighting for. See you again next week. Stay safe. 